Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian. All those who are able are invited to stand for our call to worship. From the words of the psalmist, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Let us worship God.
Scripture tells us that if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And scripture goes on to say, yet if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Therefore, with candor, with humility, with awe, let us approach the throne of grace. First, in our prayers in a corporate fashion, and then in a time of our own silent personal confession. Let us pray together. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason. We have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy upon us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. prayers in the name of the crucified, the risen, and the living one, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Friends, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and bore in his body on the cross all of our sins, all of those things that divide us from God and from one another, putting them to death. And so we are dead to sin. But as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised to a new life, freed and forgiven. So friends, hear and believe this good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Today marks the uh, finale of our Global Mission Conference, and our theme this past week has been Fit for Mission, Tending the Body, Mind, and Spirit. And we have had a wonderful week. This morning we've already had two wonderful worship services and uh, Sunday school of all ages, a joint Sunday school class. 
we have already worked our speaker preacher for our conference pretty hard this morning but he's got more left in his tank for us this morning fueled by the Holy Spirit it is my joy and our privilege to have with us uh, for a second time as part of our mission conference here at First Presbyterian the the Reverend Dr. Robert Weingartner he was with us in 2005 he's back again this year and we are thrilled he serves as the executive director of the Outreach Foundation, a mission arm uh, of Presbyterian global uh, partnerships uh, around, around the world uh, in partnership with the Peace USA, but an entity unto itself in partnership with many other uh, aspects of the church, primarily the Presbyterian church. Dr. Weingartner, before his call to serve as the executive director of the Outreach Foundation, was in the parish ministry for over 20 years, but has been in his current capacity since 2002. His formal training for the ministry occurred at Princeton Seminary and also at Pittsburgh Seminary. Uh, he's married to his wife, Terry. They have three grown children who make their home in the Nashville area. Uh, he is one who by his call to serve Jesus Christ in this capacity gets to travel all across this globe in, in, in strategic partnerships with uh, exciting ministries all across the earth. And as is his call also, he has the opportunity to talk with many, share with many congregations in our country about what he has seen and heard. And you will hear that report this morning and we will be amazed and inspired at what the Holy Spirit of God is doing around this good earth and be challenged in how we might join the work of the Holy Spirit in these ways. So welcome, Rob. We will hear from him in just a few moments. But as we prepare for the reading and the hearing of God's word, would you pray with me, please? Let us pray. Sovereign and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the ways that you have made yourself known in creation and principally and most beautifully and powerfully in your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the ways that we know you today in our lives, the living of these days through the work and the power of your living presence, your, your Holy Spirit. And we know that we do not come to your word alone to try to figure it out, but that you give us, you call us by your spirit to your living word that is read and proclaimed this morning. And so by the presence, the power, the illumination of your Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds, stir our hearts, and encourage our wills to join you in what it is that you are doing in the world. And so with expectant hearts, we wait to hear you speak to us today. In the name of and for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Those who are able are invited to stand out of honor and respect to God's word. We're going to hear the verse from Isaiah 40, verse 31, which is actually the theme verse for our mission conference. 
Isaiah 40, verse 31. Listen to God's Word. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
If there are any children out in the congregation, would y'all join us up front? And those of you here, go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> well, good morning. Well, good morning. Oh, so much better. I'll tell you what. Who knows what this is? A lunchbox. In fact, I seem to get all of my kids leftover lunchboxes, as I'm sure several of you do. Well, this is my lunchbox, and let's see what I packed in it. Um, can you come up here and help me just a minute? Okay. Would, would you hold this for me? Perfect. Let's see. <clears throat> oh. Rice Krispie treats, chips, cinnamon rolls, shh, don't tell anybody, chocolate chips. Oh, and there's my soda, and I have a sucker for dessert. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful lunch? It sounds just like what mom would pack, right? Oh, it does sound like something that I would pack. You know what? You're right. This is all called what? junk food junk yummy food junk food absolutely and you know what if I fed my body all that junk food all the time I would get really tired and sick and weak definitely you know but our brains work the same way we should feed our brains good food what kinds of things should I eat for my body? What do you think? Come here. What do you think I should eat for my body? What do you guys think? Oh, awesome. Carrots. Oh, there's some bread. I have tuna fish, yogurt. <gasps> Robert's favorite. Yeah, I should eat the good healthy food. What happens if I eat this? You get stronger. I get stronger. That's right. What's going to help make our brains stronger? What's going to make our spirits stronger? The what? The Bible. This? Yes. If we feed our bodies things like junk food and junk TV and junk books and junk things, we're going to get what? Sick and weak. We're going to be like junk, aren't we? But if we feed our body good things, like the Word of God, He's going to make us strong. You know what? Did y'all hear the Bible verse today? I'm going to back up just a couple of verses. I want to read one to you. In Isaiah 40, 29, it says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. And He does that because we're following the Word of God. So what we want to do is be fit for God, right? Let's pray in three, two, one. Lord, help us to remember that just as our bodies can't survive on junk food, neither can our minds. Help us to remember that our strength comes from you and that to learn about you, we need to feed on your word to be fit for your mission. Amen. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a joy and a privilege for me to be with you for worship this Sunday morning. 
I'm so thankful for the invitation from your pastors and from Tina McQueen and the Global Mission Ministry team to share in Mission Conference Week this year. It's a special joy to be here and worship with my good friend John Connett, who served for many years as a trustee of the Outreach Foundation and uh, through whom we've enjoyed a long relationship with First Presbyterian Church for many years. Well, thank you for your welcome. Our second lesson this morning is also from the book of the prophet Isaiah, reading from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. If you are able, would you please stand? Listen to me, O coastlands, and pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Would you pray with me? Let the gospel come now, O God, not with human words, but by the power of your Holy Spirit bringing full conviction to the glory and honor of your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hugo, the title character of a wonderful book and a recent movie, is an orphan who lives in the Paris railway station tending the station clocks following the disappearance of his alcoholic uncle. In the film, Hugo scrounges food from the vendors and steals mechanical parts from the owner of a toy shop. And along the way, he befriends a girl named Isabel, and together they have a great adventure. At one point, reflecting on a mechanical man who figures importantly in the story, and thinking about the people who are in their lives, Hugo says to Isabel, when a person loses their purpose, they are broken. When we read through the Old Testament, we see how, at different points, God's people Israel lose their purpose, how they are broken. God had said to Abram that in him all of the peoples of the earth would be blessed. But you know, it's hard sometimes for people who are uniquely blessed, blessed by God, not to get stuck in their blessedness, not to be overcome with a sense of their own exceptionalism. And it was true of God's people Israel. They often forgot that they were blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Our lesson from Isaiah 49 is a, a wonderful passage that talks about God's servant. At one level, this passage tells us about the true character of God's people, Israel. It's at the same time a prophetic passage which 
tells us about the Messiah, a suffering servant who was to come. And I think it also, this text from Isaiah 49, has something to say about you and about me, maybe about First Presbyterian Church. I want you to note several things in the text about the servant. In verse 1, we see that the Lord called him. There's a purpose in his life that has to do with who God is and how God is at work in history and in the world. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in the womb, he named me. In verse 4, we read of a time when the servant feels that his efforts are in vain. It's a time of discouragement, but he remembers his relationship with God, and, and he takes heart. Because his cause is with God, and his reward is with God. Because he, the life that he seeks to live has to do with God's purpose. Ultimately, he's reminded that he must not trust in himself, but trust in the Lord whose promise is sure. And in verse 6, we find the servant thinking about his God-given purpose. And as the text puts it, it's too light a thing for God's servant to be focused just on Israel and Judah. Rather, God's servant is to be a light to the nations. Now, to take those lessons from the text and apply them to you and me, I might do it this way. The Lord has called you. There is a purpose to your life and your life together as a congregation that has to do with who God is and what God is doing in history and in the world. God wants you to participate in things that God himself is doing. And at times, if your efforts seem to be in vain, in times of discouragement, remember your relationship with God and take heart because your cause is with the Lord and your reward is with God. And because the call upon your life has to do with a God-sized purpose, ultimately you, could, you cannot and you should not trust in yourself, but rather in the one who promises to be faithful. And in thinking about God, in thinking about God's purpose for your life, it is too light a thing for you only to think about yourselves and your families and your congregation. Because God has a bigger purpose for you, to display his glory and grace to the ends of the earth. We are blessed to be a blessing. As Chuck mentioned, in my work I have the privilege of visiting churches across this country and around the world. And I've come to the conclusion that there are basically two kinds of churches. There are congregations that look outwardly and there are congregations that look inwardly. Another way to put it is to say, there are congregations that behave as though they exist primarily for the sake of themselves. And regardless of the flowery mission statements in the bulletin or in the annual report, they behave as though they exist primarily for the sake of themselves. Maybe you know churches like that. And there also are churches that behave as though they exist primarily for the sake of others. What I see most often in congregations that are healthy and growing is an outward focus, an awareness that we are called together in beautiful sanctuaries such as this in order to be equipped and sent out into the world as ambassadors for Christ, instruments of God's blessing. What I see in struggling churches, often in our own country, in, in our own denomination, 
are congregations that focus on the church's institutional needs, on the comfort and the pleasure and the preferences of their members. So in a sense, as I think about churches, the diagnostic question becomes this. Are we here primarily for the sake of ourselves, or are we here for the sake of others? Jesus says that as the Father sent him into the world, he sends us. He sends us to be his witnesses. Do you remember Jesus' last words to the disciples before his ascension? He says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Daryl Guter, a professor at Princeton Seminary, puts it this way. He says, the gospel is news that is so urgently good that it must be shared. And that is what I see happening around the world. Several years ago in our office near Nashville, Tennessee, we welcomed a young woman from China. Her name is Li Mei Lan. She's the pastor of the Nangang Church in Harbin, China. Like all of the churches in China, this church was closed during the Cultural Revolution. But when it reopened in 1980, almost immediately, it had 500 members. When I met Li Mei Lan, it had 5,000 members. I said, how do you do that? because she was the only pastor. How do you pastor a congregation of 5,000 members? She said, well, really, I don't. My, my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And she went on to talk about how she's equipped men and women who lead all the ministries of the church. She's an equipper, a visionary. That's how she leads. When I saw her the next time, she'd gotten an associate pastor and another 1,000 members and another congregation with 3,000 members her husband, Pastor Liu, is the pastor of another large church in Harbin. It's really exciting to see what God is doing in China. Now, the situation is complex, but it's breathtaking to see what God is doing. I was, when I was last in Beijing, I was in worship on Sunday morning, and, and I heard the pastor make an announcement before the benediction that I'd never heard before. He said, if you want to stay for the next service, you can't. Go outside and get in line. And after he pronounced the benediction, 1,500 people got up and went out the doors on this side of the church. And the people who had been waiting outside came in the other side. They do that four times every Sunday. The church in China is probably growing faster than the church has ever grown at any time in any place. On Tuesday, the first place I'll travel is Ethiopia. It's a place where the Outreach Foundation has been engaged for many years. The, our partner there is called the Ethiopian Evangelical Church, Mekanayesu. Mekanayesu means house of Jesus, and so when they're inviting friends and neighbors to come to church with them, they're inviting them to, to come into the house of Jesus. It's an amazing story what's happened there. They've gone through persecution. They've suffered all kinds of struggles. It's a place where most of the people still are living in poverty. But that denomination in 50 years has grown from 50,000 believers to 5.6 million believers. It's just breathtaking to see what God is doing. My friend Harold Kurtz, the late Harold Kurtz, who was a missionary in Ethiopia for many years, said, the Holy Spirit is out of control. You know, which even makes Presbyterians in Ethiopia a little nervous because they're Presbyterians. <laughs> and we, we like to at least pretend that we're in control. I was with a group of, of leaders in the western Walega Bethel Synod. 
in western Ethiopia. And I asked them, how do they account for this amazing growth that their church continues to experience? They said quickly, no, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I, I can see that. But what does that work look like and feel like in your lives and in, in the life of your congregations? And he thought about it, and one man spoke up, and he said, you know, people say we pray a lot because we're so poor. I had to think about that. What's the connection between poverty and prayer and a radical reliance upon the promises of God in a situation of dire poverty and the growth of the church? Well, I guess I didn't have to think about it that long. In a place of tremendous need for these people, their faith in Christ, their faith in the living God is not just another compartment or a department of their complicated lives. It's the reality that shapes everything they are and all that they believe and hope for. Jesus Christ is at the center of everything for them. They went on to talk about how they share the faith with their children and the youth and how they're able then to share the faith with their friends and invite them to come to church. They talked about how the members of the congregations are equipped for ministry. That ministry isn't something that you hire pastors and a staff to do. Their role is to equip the members to be engaged in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then one of them said, and you know, we've been a persecuted church. Were it not so, we would have been more careless. Paul Pearson, who is a retired Presbyterian missionary and mission professor, talks about the growth of the church around the world, and he, he observes that often these churches are born in situations of poverty and persecution and corruption in which the gospel is heard as incredible good news, a word of hope and meaning to people who have lacked both. It's very different, though, than the experience of many American congregations. In some ways, I think our own Presbyterian Church has fallen into a pattern of institutional maintenance and a preoccupation with ourselves, an inward focus, existing as though, behaving as though we exist primarily for the sake of ourselves. And maybe we've just been caught up in the sweep of history, kind of going the way other churches are going. Richard Halverson, who served the U.S. Senate as chaplain for many years, describes the sweep of that history this way. He said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women who centered their lives on the living Christ. They had a personal and vital relationship to the Lord. It transformed them, and it transformed the world around them. Then the church moved to Greece. It became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and became an institution. And it moved to Europe, and it became a culture. Then it moved to the United States, and it became an enterprise. And he goes on to observe that we have too many congregations that are enterprises, and too few that are fellowships of people who are living lives focused on the, on the living Christ under his lordship. Now, the truth is there are a lot of churches that are broken, that have lost their purpose, at least their real purpose. And that's very different than what I see most places around the world that I travel. A few years ago, traveling in the Republic of Niger, I visited with a friend whom I'd met here in the States a couple of years before. His name is Hassan Dan Karame. 
He's about my age, and I'd, I'd like to tell you his story. When Hassan was three years of age in Niger, like any good Muslim boy, he began memorizing the Quran. His father was a distinguished member of the local town council, and he longed that his son would grow and someday take his place on the council. And Hassan was bright. He was a good student. Eventually, he won a scholarship to a prestigious boarding school where he went to study. But when he got there, he was discouraged and disappointed by the, the irreligion, the lack of piety of his classmates, their lack of devotion for Islam, their lack of devotion to Allah. And so working with the teachers and the leaders of the local mosque, he began holding retreats and conferences, trying to encourage the other students in their faith. One day, he was speaking to a group of students as I'm standing before you, and he asked them a question about the prophets. The answers were disappointing. Then there was one, there were, there were three students at this school, and one of them stood in the back and kind of raised his hand tentatively. Hassan thought, wow, this is great. He's going to want to become a Muslim. But instead he asked, instead he, he answered the questions that Hassan had asked with knowledge and wisdom and, and an articulateness that put the rest of the students to shame. Later, Hassan wanted to know where he had learned so much about the prophets, and he learned that it was from the Christian's book. Now, Hassan had been warned to stay away from the black book of the Christians, but he got one, and he started reading it every night. He read it for two years, and he kept coming up against the same verse. He kept getting stuck in the same place. It was a place where Wesley got hung up and Calvin, too. It's two verses from the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You'll recognize them. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. You know, sometimes, because it's so familiar to us, we forget the radical character of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, Hassan went and asked the mosque's Quranic teacher, you know about all that I'm doing, leading at the mosque and leading at the school, counseling other students. What about salvation? What about my salvation? And the teacher said, I don't know. I don't know if you will be one who is chosen for heaven. Something's wrong, Hassan replied. You know all that I'm doing in the mosque, and yet you cannot assure me of my salvation? Well, he went back to his room, and with all the knowledge that he had in his head and the longing that he felt in his heart, he got down on his knees and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then he did what he knew that he had to do. He went and told his father. And then his father did what he knew he had to do. He went and told the town council. And then the town council did what they knew they had to do. They decreed that Hassan should be stoned to death. Hassan thinks that it's because his father was such a distinguished leader of the council that they changed their mind about his death. And instead, they decided to send him 700 kilometers away. They sent his brother, his twin brother, to accompany him. And neither of them understood that Hassan's brother's charge the expectation of the council 
was that his brother would bring him back to the true faith, back to Islam. They were away a long time. After 10 years, Hassan's brother came to him and said, Hassan, I think that I too have become a Christian. And they went and told their father. Hassan today is a pastor and a denominational leader. His brother and several others from the council are elders in Hassan's church. And they would tell you if they were here, they cannot help but speak of what they've seen and heard. They just cannot stop talking about Jesus. Like some of you, I I spend a good bit of time on airplanes. I, I don't usually check, but I did this time. And from the time I get on the plane in Nashville till when I get off in Addis Ababa, it'll be 29 hours. I just get on and get off when the plane stops. Sometime I'd love to ride an airplane that I read about in a London newspaper. It's owned by a man named Bahadur Chand Gupta. Gupta is an Indian Airlines engineer who retired, and he thought that maybe in his retirement he could have some fun and set up a little business and make, make a little money maybe, giving people airplane rides. And so he bought an old Airbus 300 and had it placed outside of New Delhi. And every Saturday morning, people come and ride on his plane. You can Google it and find a YouTube video that will show you Gupta and his wife and the passengers and the whole thing. It's amazing. Gupta sits in the cockpit. He's the pilot. His wife leads the team of flight attendants. They use a a battery-powered PA system to give the pre-flight instructions. After they reach cruising altitude, his wife and the other attendants on little silver tea services go up and down the aisle giving refreshments to the passengers. They often encounter turbulence and everybody hastily refastens their seat belts and then before they land there are the obligatory announcements about seat backs and tray tables and their full upright and locked positions. And they land. The thing is, the thing about this plane is, it only has one wing and it doesn't have a tail section. You see, they never get off the ground. The article that I read quoted a young teacher named Jasmine. And I mean not to make fun of her, but she said after the flight, it was much more beautiful than I ever imagined. But just imagine if she had really flown. Now, for me, that plane has become a kind of metaphor for the church. Because so often God's people get focused upon themselves and forget that we are called to be out in the world proclaiming good news to those who desperately long for good news, binding up the broken and the brokenhearted, displaying God's glory and grace. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Too often, instead of soaring on the winds of God's Spirit, we go through the motions, sitting broken a few meters off the ground. Well, the truth is, we we are all a bit broken. And we can forget that we've been blessed to be a blessing. But dear friends, know this. Own this. You are sent. That is why God brings us together to equip us to live out in the world in ways that disclose his glory and grace. 
Hear this, own this. God can use each one of you as God can use no one else in his mission. Your passion, your gifts, your experience, your network, your relationships, your resources, God would use you through this mission conference weekend and the gifts that you'll give and in your daily lives and the places where you work and play and shop and study. God can use you as God can use no one else to bless others in Jesus' name. To speak a word of hope to a world that is broken and afraid. To care for those in need, to give in ways that bless, to show and share his love. To mount up with wings like eagles and fly. Bless you for the ways that you are reaching out to bless others. God bless you for the ways that you will reach out to bless others in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite those who are able to please stand as we affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty, gracious, and loving God, you bring peace, and we pray for peace with you, peace with each other, and peace with ourselves. We pray for peace with you, O Lord. We pray for the lessons that you call us to learn. We pray for whatever issues hinder our fellowship with you. We pray for those with their own private struggles. We pray for peace with others. We pray for family and friends. We give thanks for all good relationships and we pray for healing and closure for those relationships that are troubled. We pray for peace of mind for those who are grieving and those who are sick and those who see limited options in their lives and those who are looking for any option. We pray for peace in our world. We pray for steps of peace like hosting VIP as we will beginning today for this week and we pray for our guests. We pray for this mission conference and for those particular people and projects, programs, entities that we seek to support. We pray for those now who preserve the peace, the police officers and deputies, firefighters here in our community as well as our armed forces. 
We pray these things in the name of the Prince of Peace, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'd like to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us this morning, either here in the sanctuary or at Spring Harbor or via television. Invite those of you who are in the sanctuary to sign the friendship pads located at the ends of the aisles and pass those along to those seated next to you. As we do that, I'd like to highlight a few announcements. This weekend has been the Global Missions Conference, and today brings an end to those events. This, uh, the weekend has been full of events that raise our awareness of missions work around the world and to inspire us to join God in the work that's happening all around the world. And though the events are coming to a close today, the work has just begun. There are many ways that we can be involved, and we encourage you to contribute to the Global Missions offering. Our goal this year is $43,100. The money will be used to join God in the work that's being done all around this globe to bring good news to those who need it. We will continue to accept this offering through Easter, so we encourage you to take part in that offering. This Wednesday, is, uh, we'll have a, our church family supper that starts at 5.30. We invite you to be part of that. And following the supper this week is going to be our Ash Wednesday service. It's a very moving and powerful service in our church. We invite you to be a part of that at 6.30 here. The Lenten season is upon us, and we invite you to take, uh, take part in two special events. One is this Lenten devotional, 2013 Lenten devotional called Simple. It's put together by our own Ida Page, who is an elder here in the congregation. And these are available in, the, um, the, in various parts throughout the church. We invite you to take, take one of these and work your way through this during the Lenten season. It's going to be a wonderful way to open our hearts to what God is doing in our lives through Lent. And also in your bulletin this morning, you'll see an announcement for Lenten small groups. These are small little groups that will be taking part, uh, that will be happening for a limited time. They'll be in various places around town, a few here at the church, a few elsewhere. We invite you to take part and join one of those groups to um, experience Lent in a deeper and more meaningful way. There are many more announcements in your bulletin and on our website. We invite you to take, take a look at those. And let us continue now to worship God through the presentation of our tithes and our offerings.
gracious and loving Lord, may our offerings this morning be used to bring hope to the hopeless, grace to the lost, love to the unloved. As we present our offerings, we also present ourselves as those you call to share the gospel, and we rededicate ourselves to your mission. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord, sharing Christ's love with all whom you meet. May may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.